This is New Classical Tracks from listener-supported American Public Media. If you're enjoying this podcast, you know what? The best thing that you can do is to tell somebody else about it. Help spread the word. And then take a moment to rate and review us on your podcasting app. I talked recently with conductor John Jetter. He and the Fort Smith Symphony over the past couple of years have really been digging deep into composers from their region in the Arkansas area. And this time, on their latest recording, they've decided to explore the works of Lewis Wayne Ballard. He's considered to be the first Native American concert composer. What does that mean? Well, John Jetter tells you about that and much more this week on New Classical Tracks from American Public Media. I'm Julia Macher. I'm talking with John Jetter, the music director with the Fort Smith Symphony. And John, I can't help but notice that you have um, a few airplanes in your office behind you. And I know that you have a passion for flying, or at least you did, and it seems to coincide with your name a little bit. (laughs) Tell me a little bit about that side of you. Okay. Well, I grew up basically trying to decide music, aviation, music, aviation. And depending on the given day, one side might win out over the other. And uh, ultimately... I knew that if I, I couldn't really go back to music if I decided to, you know, fly like in the Air Force or Navy or something like that. And, uh, but yeah, I've always had a huge, huge interest in it and still do. And most of my spare time, not well, spare time, time when I'm not doing work uh, and not doing family, uh, I'm listening to aviation podcasts or uh, reading books. And I find it's uh, a great way to take my mind completely away. There's something else that I really like to do. And then when I come back to uh, musical topics, it's, um, it's been like I've, I've been able to just shut myself off from that. And it's very different. I know, you know, I guess in a rom- from a sort of a romantic Uh, romanticized notion. Oh, if you do music, it's 24-7. You know, you need to do it all the time. For me, it it really helps to have time completely away for it. And the passions is about the same, actually. I I absolutely love it. Is there, do you see a connection between the two? No. (laughs) I think, (laughs) yeah, you were waiting for some really, oh, well, 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 no, I just was curious. Like, yeah. wait a minute, is there something I'm not seeing here? I know. And uh, like, is there like this weird sense of freedom? Maybe I don't know. Well, I just I, I'm I'm fascinated by uh, people who um, have a lot of struggles or have a lot of challenges. Or um, I, I certainly don't have a, 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 a death wish, but you know, in the music business. The worst thing that can happen to us is we can die of embarrassment, right, at a concert. It's like the worst thing. But uh, guys uh, and gals taking off and landing on aircraft carriers and, you know, uh, uh, going into space. I mean, those are people who are, are uh, this idea of uh, doing it safely, but there's, you know, there's this life on the line element. Uh, also, and we talked just briefly, I think the, the art that goes into things like aerospace design or uh, sending a... Uh, rocket to the moon, I think that's just as miraculous as uh, what happens creating a painting or a symphony. 
So um, I just, you know, the fact that, for example, that uh, I read a book recently about, uh, for example, the Apollo 8 mission and how basically we decided last minute, we've got to go to the moon, we've got to orbit the moon. And we had never done it. And all those scientists figured out everything down to the second. And when the astronauts actually got to the moon and they spent that time around the dark side, and it was to the second what the scientists had figured out. And to me, that's pretty unbelievable. That's like Beethoven's Ninth Symphony. So you just said something about really being intrigued by people who are dealing with challenges, right, or a challenging situation. And I see a connection there between some of your most recent recordings, because one of the things that you and the Fort Smith Symphony have been doing is recording a series of releases where you're highlighting underrepresented composers, many of whom face challenges, at least in the world of classical music. And your most recent one is celebrating the works of Lewis Wayne Ballard. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Why is this so important to you, to be able to celebrate composers who are A, underrepresented, and B, from your region? Uh, I think it's important, first of all, on a closer, as you suggested, regional level, uh, I think it's important for arts organizations to focus on the, the cultural history of where we are. And uh, I think maybe we've talked about this before. In classical music, it's always about someone from somewhere else, isn't it? Our conductor's from Germany, our program is music from Italy and France, our soloist is from South America. And uh, I think we need to do more to promote local. Local is good. Regional is a, a great thing. And for us here, I, I was amazed when I first moved here. I've been here 27 years. But when I first got here, I didn't know about William Grant Still's connection to Arkansas or Florence Price. And to then reach out and say, well, gee, I wonder who's the first recognized Native American concert composer, someone who was born just a few hours from us and actually has a tribal connection to Arkansas. So it's interesting how that uh, working on a local level, regional level, can also have a significant national and international footprint. And to follow on, I love, there's a lot of music out there. There's so much music out there. And in classical music, don't we tend to feature, especially in the concert hall, about the same 20 composers? I mean, that's what we do. And there's just so much great music out there that as time has gone by, I'm just really interested in what else is out there. And, and there's so much. Yeah, I'm curious, John. So you've been the music director for 27 years. At what point did you have that kind of aha moment that, oh, what would happen if we started to dive into composers from this region? When did that happen and why? That would have been, wow, probably 20 years ago when uh, around the time that we did our first recording for Noxos, it was a William Grant Still recording. And it was basically just kind of doing my homework and finding out about him and that he was, um, he was raised in Arkansas. He was born in Mississippi, but he moved to Arkansas when he was four. So he was basically an honorary Arkansan. And I started looking at the music and it was just terrific. And I thought, this just makes complete sense to uh, record. And uh, since then, it's been something we've tried to do as much as we can. Our season is small, so we can't do these uh, um, rediscovered or underrepresented composers all the time. But we do uh, like to feature them as much as we can. And it's about, uh, for us, 
It's about the orchestra. It's about orchestral music, and it's about a big repertoire. So in, in our world here, we don't even use the term classical music very much. We always promote orchestral music. So it's those uh, classical masters. It's underrated composers. We love doing film music. I recently, we recently did a, the f- most, it was so much fun. We did a, a Nashville Legends concert that was just, it was so fun. We're, we have a, a holiday concert coming up and it's the, this idea of presenting a very broad range of music. To me, that's what it's all about. Louis Wayne Ballard is recognized as the first Native American concert composer. What does that mean? Well, he was uh, a Quapaw Cherokee composer. Uh, he was born in Miami, Oklahoma. And if you look at it on a, it looks like it's Miami, but they say Miami here, uh, 1931 to 2007. And uh, he had training as a composer, uh, went to the University of Tulsa, and he pursued, uh, I guess you could say, sort of traditional Western uh, uh, musician training, played piano, uh, had, uh, did a lot of different things. But he's really the first uh, Native American composer to have a career as a concert composer. Uh, he was, uh, and that's why he's known as the father of Native American composers. He was a pianist, a percussionist, performer, composer. Uh, he, was a, he was hugely involved in music education. In fact, his work as an educator is, is right up there in importance to his work as a, a composer. Uh, he was a music administrator. He was uh, worked for the Bureau of Indian Affairs for many years. He was head of all the music curriculum for them. Uh, he was involved briefly as a, a film producer, uh, a writer. He was known as a superb dancer. And he also was an excellent uh, visual artist. So that's about all you can do, right? Yeah. <laughs> Well, soon after completing his master's degree at the University of Tulsa in 1962, he was hired as performing arts director at the Institute of American Indian Arts in Santa Fe, New Mexico. And that became an important center of indigenous education and culture. And that's also when he realized that not many of the young indigenous North American students knew the songs of their own tribes. So what did that inspire him to do? Well, he started uh, collecting them, sort of in the in the in the tradition of uh, Bartok. He would uh, uh, start collecting and analyzing these uh, tribal songs, and he started teaching them to his students. Uh, years later, he came up with a, a wonderful curriculum. I've got a copy of it sitting here on my uh, bookcase. Of um, it's it's kind of like. Uh, Kodai or ORF style music education program for kids, but it's all with uh, uh, indigenous music. And uh, it's something I hope gets republished. This is another project we're working on. But he also, I think, felt the need to make sure that there was some reference to this type of music in his works. All of his works have an indigenous connection. Sometimes it's uh, more theoretical, but sometimes it's very audible with the use of uh, folk songs. Uh, instruments, uh, indigenous instruments, uh, just a terrific composer. And I know we're going to talk a little more about his music, but he, he's, he's a major composer. He's written some big pieces for orchestra. It's pretty unbelievable. 
He himself incorporated, as you just mentioned, a lot of unusual percussion instruments and instrumentation that reflected his own Native American heritage. Let's talk a little bit about where we hear that. And then I'm also curious how you were able to pull what we might call maybe an authentic sound out of your orchestra as you were playing that? Well, um, we're close to, we're right on the border with Oklahoma, and uh, we have a wonderful connection with musicians at the University of Oklahoma, and they happen to have a wonderful collection of indigenous percussion instruments. So we could go right to the source to get exactly what we needed, uh, or pretty close. In some cases, um, uh, some of the some of his instrumentation requests, you're thinking, now, what, ex- what exactly is that? Like, I know what a, you know, I know what a gourd rattle is, but what's a peyote gourd rattle? Or, you know, what's, or something, a specific tribal dr- uh, drum. So I think we got very close. Um, you hear in, for example, in uh, the first work on the recording, Devil's Promenade, you do hear a lot of uh, percussion. And uh, in fact, the work starts actually with a, you, the first thing you hear is a really high-pitched sound. That's an eagle bone whistle, which is a very unique sound. And there's water drums, and as I said, the gourd rattles. There's all sorts of things that give this, um, give not only that work, but a lot of his music uh, uh, a wonderful indigenous character. There's a lot of what he does. I, I wish we had hours to speak about it, but um, looking at that anthology of Native American folk songs, one of the many things he does for the teachers is he analyzes every piece. There's quite a bit of information about each song. That way he can, the, 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 the teachers can uh, explain it to their kids. But what you find is if you, if you look at a lot of the analysis of the music, you'll find certain parallels. All the songs kind of are this way or similar. So um, he incorporates some of those, what I would call are relatively straightforward, simple concepts that you would hear in folk music. He puts them into very big orchestra pieces. So you get this feeling that something is just, it's different. You know, you don't hear counterpoint the way you'd hear it in a Brahms symphony. Because back, you know, most of the, the tribal music, there really isn't counterpoint, but a lot of people are singing the same melody, but maybe a little differently. Someone's maybe doing a slightly different thing, or they'll all of a sudden interject a loud shout or something like that. These sort of subtle things that, that come up uh, uh, over and over again in... Um, Native American music are hinted at in these uh, works of his. It's very ingenious. That opening track, Devil's Promenade, also refers to where he was born, where he grew up. That's right. Can you tell us more about that? Uh, Devil's Promenade is southwest of Miami. This is, we're kind of talking about near uh, the Tulsa area in uh, northeastern Oklahoma. Uh, it, it's actually the, uh, it's where the tribal headquarters of the Quapaw tribe is currently located. It's, they have a, a building there. And it's a very open area. There's a, a river and uh, that's where he was born. And um, he wanted to kind of, you know, put his history and I think the history of uh, 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 tribes in his region, you know, into this 
work, which is just outstanding. Uh, incidentally, going back to the um, local connection, the uh, Quapaw tribe, are, they're primarily their history is focused in Arkansas. They're considered kind of the Arkansas Indians. So that was a big connection for us. And as the French settlers moved up from uh, Louisiana, uh, French military, as they started settling in Arkansas, when they came across the Quapaw, in Quapaw, the name of their tribe sounds similar to the word Arkansas. The French kept mispronouncing it as Arkansas. So that's how the, our state got our name. So, uh, and then the Quapaw, uh, they, during the relocation, the forced relocation, they uh, uh, traveled through here, tried to settle here. So there's a real interesting uh, tribal connection. And the, the Quapaw loved living in Arkansas for, they did for a very long time. You mentioned that Lewis Ballard was a really good dancer, and one of the things on this recording is a ballet, his third ballet, the Four Moons Ballet, and it's unique in that it also featured four Oklahoma ballerinas of indigenous North American descent. Can you tell us more about that? So in the 1940s through 1960s, there were a group of dancers, uh, ballerinas, who were um, uh, very famous. And they were actually known as the Five Moons. We just talked about the Four Moons. They were known as the Five Moons. There was a Mausoline Larkin, she was Shawnee. Uh, Rosella Hightower was a uh, Choctaw. Marjorie and Maria Tallchief were with the Osage tribe. And Yvonne Chateau was a Cherokee. They didn't necessarily perform a dance together very often, but they were known nationally and internationally. And they had a, they all had an indigenous background. They all had a background uh, in Oklahoma. So the idea was for Ballard to compose a ballet for all five. By the time he got around to it, Maria Tallchief, one of the five, had retired. So the five moons became the four moons. And it's a beautiful ballet. It's about 23 minutes total. I think there's eight movements. And uh, at, at one point, there are four movements in a row. Each one uh, is sort of in honor of one of these dancers. The music and the choreography was meant to kind of you know, be representative of this particular dancer, her strengths, things that she would do well. And also, uh, they 
Each of these movements tried to present some uh, oh, psychological or artistic representation of the specific tribes. And uh, the style of this work, this is a pretty tame music for Lewis Ballard. It's very tonal. Uh, he, he considered it almost a, a neoclassical work. Uh, it's very different than uh, the first two works on the recording. And I'm saying that because one of the things that the recording does, I think really well, is shows that Ballard was an incredible musical chameleon. He could write in very tonal style, very accessible. And boy, there's some other works, not on our recording, but there's some other works that are just totally out there, as modern as you can get, super difficult, edgy uh, pieces. So hopefully we'll get a chance to record some of those later. But an amazingly versatile composer. There is an early work by Ballard. He wrote it back in 1963. And it's also one of his most frequently performed. And I guess that's in part because he also arranged it for elementary and school bands. It's called Scenes from Indian Life. Yeah, well, and that was uh, the first one. I think it might have been his first orchestral work that had a publisher. So there was a publisher. You could actually get access to the music. And yes, it's uh, it's very lighthearted. It's almost comical. There's a story about uh, uh, your friend. Someone wants to build a, an, a, an adobe house and build a wall to a house. And there's, you know, there's one of the characters represented by the clarinet. Uh, another one represented by the trombone shows up and says, hey, I'll, I'll help you build this. And it also says that as the story continued, as these two Native Americans were building this wall, there were people looking and watching them going, these guys have no idea what they're doing. Right. Exactly. And how, yeah. how is that represented in the music? <laughs> well, well, it, I mean, it, it's there's like funny... Uh, stops and starts. There's a, a bassoon figure that you can almost imagine these sort of clumsy characters trying to do this job. And uh, there's sort of sudden twist, like, oh, you know, this part of the wall just fell down. We got to rebuild it. And uh, it's, it, there's a great uh, comical sense throughout the piece. They finish the wall and are real, real happy. So it's a very uh, simple story. It's kind of interesting. 30 years later, uh, someone said, hey, well, why don't you add, a, can, can you do a fourth movement? So there's this fourth movement that I think works pretty well, but the style of it is totally different. It's almost like 70s or 80s uh, TV miniseries music. Uh, and I mean that in the best way. It's, it's uh, very descriptive, it's very different. very celebratory. You know, the job is done. Maybe the wall looks really strange. <laughs> Maybe it won't last, but it's done. 
There is a fantasy aborigine on this recording, and it's one of six orchestral works that he wrote with that title. You've selected the third, Cocapelli. Why did you choose to feature this one on the recording? It's, uh, I really, I just, I thought it was a cool piece. <laughs> I really, I love the energy in it. And uh, it's his most, I think of all the pieces, it's maybe, if, if someone hasn't heard the piece, they haven't heard it yet, and we're talking about him, this piece kind of maybe fulfills some expectations of what you might expect him to uh, compose like. It's, it's sort of film score-ish a little bit, but uh, it's uh, uh, immensely dramatic. And I, one of the things I like about it is one of the things about Ballard's music is uh, he, he has an incredible drive and intensity to his music. He can really keep, he can pace a work really well. And I think uh, uh, this work number three uh, demonstrates that really well. And in that sense, it is similar to Devil's Promenade. I mean, these pieces just keep moving forward. They, they do have beautiful lyrical sections. And in fact, I'm just talking about his pacing and how exciting he is. But for me, some of these central lyrical sections where the music almost stops moving are just incredible. Just, just incredible. There's a good example in that Devil's Promenade, right in the middle where the English horn takes a melody that comes from a Sue Ghost Dance song. That's right, it's an exact quote. And uh, you hear it in the English horn, and then it starts to get taken over by more instruments, and it gets bigger and bigger. It's almost this Respighi build to it. And then you sort of get to a climactic movement, and then, and then at that point, the music really takes off. just like it's wild he's just wild sometimes and i love that we we um i probably we, we were getting reviews and uh we got kind of a typical um i don't know i shouldn't say it but it, it, we got a british um, multiple british reviews and one guy was like almost like this is you know too much <laughs> it's overkill but um I, I i love that i mean sometimes he literally throws the kitchen sink at you and and, and that's an aesthetic, you know, that's a, a really excellent point of view as a composer. And I, you know, we get that in the concert hall sometimes. I mean, didn't Stravinsky sort of do the kitchen sink? Didn't he throw a lot of stuff at us? And uh, it's an aesthetic that um, is very different than a Brahms symphony, <laughs> you know, for sure. 
So that's why I just think he's a terrific composer. And I'm saying this when I first started um, looking at his music, I didn't know his music at all. So this is just through discovery and going, wow. And it's great to do projects like this, but then as you're working on the music and you think, wow, this is, I thought this would be great, but it's 10 times better and I'm having 10 times more fun than I even thought I would. And that was certainly the case with this music. I'm a, I'm a big fan. And I think everyone should be a big fan as well. <laughs> recording celebrating the works of Lewis Wayne Ballard, featuring John Jetter and the Fort Smith Symphony. Thanks to Valerie Kaler. She's our producer for New Classical Tracks from American Public Media. I'm Julia Macher.